Karenette is one of my um, favorite ministries. It's one thing to be against abortion. It is another thing to practically meet the fear that drives abortion and to provide solutions. And so um, I really encourage you to be part of this. And also, uh, Tuesday night, we are featuring Karenette in our prayer meeting and encourage you to come out as we, their, their whole staff will be here. We pray over them, prophesy over them, and uh, believe God for them. Okay, so I just have to give you a little warning today. Um, I have been out of the pulpit for two Sundays. Usually when I'm not here, it's because I'm preaching somewhere else, but I have literally not preached for two Sundays. So I need you to forgive me if I get a little excited today. Uh, it's great to be back. All right. We, uh, we have been in a series in the book of Romans, and we've been just going right through the book. But for Mother's Day, we are skipping to chapter 16. The title of the message today is Spirit-Filled Women. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? And we're going to, I'm going to read right off the screen so we can all have the same words. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. And then over in verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, I believe you have spoken to me this week for moms and for women. And I just pray, Lord, that I would be 
out of the way. I would not be a hindrance so that there can be face-to-face, heart-to-heart encounters where you speak to your women. And Lord, as is often the case, as all the men here overhear what we're saying to the women, Lord, let them be spoken to by the Holy Spirit as well. Lord, this is your day. This is your time. Everybody that's here has set apart this time to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Holy Spirit, please, let this time not be in vain. Let this time not be just putting in our time, but let it be um, fruitful in every way. Please, God, have your way, we're asking, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. We talked about this a little in the introduction to Romans many weeks ago. Paul has never been to Rome. Rome is in Italy, and it's a long way away from Israel and Jerusalem and and even Turkey in that day. It It took a lot to travel. How does Paul know all of these people in Rome that he can greet them if he has never even been there? And the answer to that question well, could be, could be manifold. Paul was raised in Tarsus, so he had friends growing up, I'm sure. He's, he says he's got some relatives there. Rome is a major capital. But as far as all of these Jews that are there, including Priscilla and Aquila, something happened in Rome in 49 AD. We have two records of this. One is a Roman uh, historian at that time named Suetonius. And he writes in 49 AD, Claudius, who is the emperor of Rome, made an edict commanding all Jews to leave Rome because they were creating a disturbance at the instigation of Crestus. Scholars are almost completely unanimous in that this Crestus is a reference to Christ. This is one of the earliest references to Christ, and it shows that the church in Rome was very strong. They had come from all over the world to Pentecost, and some went back, and they brought the message, and the church took off in Rome. And it is so strong that in 49 AD, when there is a disturbance that cannot be solved any other way, he has all the Jews, the emperor has all the Jews leave Rome. Now, why, here's why scholars believe this is a reference to Christ. If, if, if somebody is causing a disturbance, wouldn't you just remove that one person instead of a whole people group? This is a person that is the head of a movement that they can't control. And the Jews are causing trouble, as they did other places. Wherever Christianity came, they caused trouble. And you you might be disturbed that it's Crestus instead of Christ. You don't know how historians think. 
If this had said at the instigation of Jesus Christ, historians would probably have a problem believing it because they think Christians rewrite history after the fact and put Jesus' name in. But because it says Christus, that sounds like a non-Christian reference to Christ. And they're like, that's, that's probably true. That probably really is Jesus. Anyway, that's just, that's, that's free. Okay. Um, <laughs> Acts 18 gives Paul's first meeting with Aquila and Priscilla. And here it is, Acts 18, 2 and 3. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so just because you were Christian and Jewish didn't mean you didn't have to leave. All Jews had to leave Rome. And uh, so he met them, not just Priscilla and Aquila, but many others, and became friends with them. These were co-workers, co-laborers in Christ. Then, in 54 AD, Nero, Claudius dies, Nero becomes the new emperor, and one of the very first things he does is has all the Jews come back. He welcomes them back to Rome entirely for economic reasons. We know that Priscilla and Aquila are among those that went back because they are, as Paul writes this letter, they are leading a church in their home. So Paul's got all of these acquaintances that he met because of this dispersion that have gone back there. And, uh, so this, this kind of accounts for how he knows so many people. Okay, so here we go. Spirit-filled women, point one, spirit-filled women in that day. The mark of the New Testament is spirit-filled women. Listen to this, Acts 2, 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. To be sure, God used women in the Old Testament. We've got examples of Deborah and Ruth and Rahab and Miriam. And there are women from time to time that are used in some way by the purpose of God. But God says, um, the time is coming when my Holy Spirit, that in the Old Testament was only on the prophet, the priest, and the king, and only for a time, and it was always old, older Jewish men, that there is a day coming that I am taking the wraps off this thing. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit on men, and I'm going to pour my spirit out on women. I'm going to pour it not just on mature people. I'm going to pour the spirit of God on sons and on daughters, and they're going to speak. They're going to prophesy. They're going to speak right from my inspiration from my fire burning in their heart. 
So this is, this is that day. That day is just beginning where the Holy Spirit is being poured out on women. And we see many of these women in Romans 16. First, we have Paul lists Phoebe. And he says, welcome, Phoebe. Phoebe is coming from Sancria, which is right by Corinth. Scholars believe Paul wrote this letter in Corinth. He sent the letter by this businesswoman named Phoebe. Phoebe is serving as a deacon in the church. Phoebe is a woman of business. She's a benefactor. She is helping many in her resources. She's probably on a business trip to Rome. um, And Paul has sent this letter with her. Spirit-filled businesswoman being used by God, a deacon, serving as a deacon in the church. Then we have Priscilla and Aquila. Now, when they're first named, um, it's Aquila is first. When they first meet them, Aquila is the husband. Priscilla is the wife. But the next two times they're referenced, Acts 18, later in the chapter, it says Priscilla and Aquila started speaking to Apollos and leading them in the way. And then here again, uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the church that is in their home. Commentators believe the reason why Priscilla is given first, even though men were always listed first, was because she's the primary speaker. She is the one doing the speaking. He's still the head of the home, but she is the primary speaker. Then we have Mary, who has worked hard for you. Tryphena and Travosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Persis is another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And then finally, Paul gives Rufus's mom, who has been a mother to me. This is a mother in the spirit. A mother. She's actually Rufus's mother, but her heart is, as a mother, is touching other people, including Paul himself. He has known her care, her protection, her encouragement, her gentleness. Uh, We don't know when and how, but Rufus's mother has been a spiritual mother to Paul. All right, so we need to talk for just a moment about Paul's view of women because it's very complicated. Here's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul says the gospel is the great equalizer. It is the great liberator. It makes us all one in Christ. At the ground is level at the cross. Everybody comes the same way. As sinners, we're of equal value. Jesus saves us and we are one in Christ. Then he says this in 1 Corinthians 14:34. The women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. Huh? All of this liberation about the new covenant and, and, and all this about women's being used and released and empowered. And now we have got Paul, the great apostle... Saying, by the way, uh, women need to keep silent at church. 
There it is, 1 Corinthians 14. And of course, we believe the Bible. And the Bible says it right there. So why are women speaking in church? Well, the Bible, it's really, really important that we don't proof text. That we don't pull one verse out of its out of its context and just say this is this is what the Bible says. You actually can get into a lot of danger that way. The Bible needs to be interpreted. And you need to use scripture to interpret scripture. So let's get into Paul's mind. Let's get into his heart here. The key to understanding women need to keep silent in the church is the phrase, as it says in the law. You will not understand why Paul required silence in some meetings without understanding that the reason why is because that's what it says in the law. Okay. For six chapters, we have been talking about Romans, and Paul's entire message is that we are free from the law, that we are not under the law, that Christ fulfilled the law. In fact, that our obedience is the obedience of faith, not the obedience of law. So why would Paul possibly be quoting the law as a reason why women should be silent when the law doesn't even apply to us anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. He died for the law so that we could have this righteousness by faith. Why is he quoting the law? To understand that, we have to look at 1 Corinthians 9, just a few chapters earlier, verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as those under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Paul's heartbeat is evangelism. Corinthians is one of the first letters, and all of the early churches started by Paul preaching in the synagogues. So this, there is, in every community where the church is started, it starts to the Jews. Paul said his rule was to go to the Jews first, even though his ministry was mainly to the Gentiles. For the Jewish people, women couldn't even be in the same chamber as the men. They had a separate court, the court for the women. So in the gospel, they're already sitting beside men. Paul says if we're ever going to reach Jews... We're, we're going to have to embrace this culture that women are silent. That, that it's already pushing them that women are sitting next to them. But for women to speak would, would culturally be so difficult for them that they would be offended by it and they wouldn't even be able to hear about Jesus. To those under the law, I put myself under the law so that I might win those that are under the law. His burning passion is salvation. We see in Romans 10.1, especially for the Jews, he is burning for their salvation. Well, what about women's rights? Why isn't Paul fighting for women's rights, their cultural rights? Paul wasn't that much into rights. 
he was actually into us laying down our rights for the purpose of the gospel. When my daughter Anne was in the Middle East as a missionary, um, they had specific clothes that they, they always needed to wear a skirt and they always had to have a head covering. Why? Isn't it her right to wear whatever she wants to? Can't she wear blue jeans? And why would she need a head covering? She doesn't wear a head covering around here. Well, why? It, it, it just makes sense. If we're going to reach Muslims, if you're in a Muslim country and you're going to reach Muslims, you lay down some of your personal freedoms. You, you put the head covering on, you wear the skirt, because otherwise you've so offended them that you can't even talk to them about Jesus. So this is, and clearly this is also an evangelistic meeting because Paul says in the same letter in chapter 11 that when women speak in church, when they pray and when they prophesy, they need to have their head covered or be under authority when they do it. So women are speaking. Women are being used. Women are gifted. Paul recognizes that and that there are meetings even in that time and in that place where they were allowed and released to speak and prophesy. But in an evangelistic meeting where you're trying to reach Jews, no. If you want more on that, I've got a CD out there called Women in Leadership. All right, point two. Spirit-filled women in our time. Now, a lot of churches may struggle with women speaking or women leading. But this church shouldn't, and here's why. This church was started by a woman. Sophie Van Kuchen. Let's have Sophie. There she is. She had been a missionary for decades in Africa. She came back here, and in 1927 on Williamson Street, she started a Bible study in her apartment. And her sister Joe was her helper. And she was just teaching the Word of God. And God was so blessing this Bible study, it kept growing that in uh, the next, or actually two years later, they actually had to rent a spot on Atwood Avenue, a storefront, because the group was too big. And it's just, it's just Sophie, it's a prayer group, it's a Bible study and prayer group, and she is leading this small community. The way it becomes spirit-filled. Because back then, um, the, whole, the idea of the Holy Spirit coming and filling and there being gifts like tongues and healing and those things, that was kind of a foreign concept in that day. The way she became spirit-filled was another woman named Amy Semple McPherson. Let's see Amy. Oh, there she is. Amy Semple McPherson, well, her first husband was Robert Semple, and he was a preacher, and and they would go around and do evangelistic meetings, and he uh, died, tragically. She remarried an accountant. His last name was McPherson. And so she left the traveling, she left the, the preaching, and just was 
her, his wife, and um, she got sick. She got deathly sick. And while she is lying on her hospital bed, the Lord speaks to her to go preach. And this is in 1915, and, and when she says, when she agrees, I will go and preach if you want me to preach, she's immediately completely healed. And she starts traveling in America with a tent. The most powerful years were 1919 to 1922. She went all over the United States with a massive tent, revival tent, and miracles broke out wherever she was. In 1921, she is in Southern California having a huge tent meeting. And a guy named Dr. Charles Price, his doctorate was from Oxford. And he was a, he was a liberal, he was a universalist, he, he didn't believe the scriptures, didn't believe a lot of it. And the reason why he went to Amy Semple McPherson's meeting was to discredit it, to show people why this is the wrong way. So he goes to this meeting... And he is so touched by God that when she gives the call for salvation, he starts going forward. And his fellow pastor that's come with him said, uh, this is for salvation. This isn't you. He looks back at him and says, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> he goes forward. He gets saved. And then he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit where he gets a, a new prayer language. And he becomes this fire for God, and he starts traveling with a huge tent. And wherever Dr. Charles Price went, there were mighty miracles. The very next year, um, in 1922, he prays for a young lady named Catherine Kuhlman, who ended up being a, the primary agent for healing. Um, well, I shouldn't say primary, it's, it's all Jesus, but she was used mightily in the 1960s and 70s in healing. Anyway, he goes to uh, Duluth, Minnesota in 1927 sets up his big tent and a guy comes a Baptist minister named Wilbur H. Sproul he comes there he hears about the fullness of the Holy Spirit he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit he comes back tries to bring this message to his Baptist congregation and he's, he's kicked out he's given the left foot of fellowship So he goes to Baraboo, Wisconsin in 1928, and he starts the Assemblies of God in Baraboo. First, first guy, to, to get all this history, I actually had to go to the AG to find out. And, uh, but in 1931, he felt like the, the Assemblies, it wasn't like the Baptists where, where there's local church sovereignty, and he wanted that. And there was this young congregation meeting in a storefront um, who he got in contact with, and he came in 1931 and became the first pastor. And they called the church Madison Gospel Tabernacle. Very soon after that, and of course, he came, they knew exactly who he was and why he got kicked out of the Baptist church. And they welcomed him, and they welcomed, by welcoming him, they were welcoming the moving of the Holy Spirit. And the entire congregation, including Sophie, became spirit-filled. And the church exploded for six years. 
Um, from 1931 to 1937, there was a massive moving of God. And in six years, it became Madison Gospel Tabernacle, became one of the largest churches in Madison. Spirit-filled church in a day when people didn't even know what it was. I hate to give this part of the story, but it did happen. 1937, um, Sproul, at the age of 39, died. He refused to go to the doctor. He had heart things, and God was going to heal him. He refused to go to the doctor, and he died. And Sophie remained and kind of mothered the church uh, through two more pastor, pastoral transitions. And in 1943, she went home to be with the Lord. We have her Bible. This is Sophie's Bible. Can we go back to Sophie? She was given this in 1929. Um, Right now, this Bible is in the possession of Mary Lou Daniel. And when Mary Lou is going to give it back to the church, but she lent it to, when when she she goes to be with the Lord, she's going to give it back to the church. But for right now, um, she lent it to us today. This is Sophie's Bible. And I thought we could just read a few things that she wrote with her own hand in the cover in honor of her and in honor of her love for Jesus. Of course, she's a missionary, so this is the first thing she has in there. Your love for Christ has a broken wing if it can't fly overseas. Second one is from Thomas Akempis. O God, who art the truth, make me one with thee in everlasting love. Third one is D.L. Moody. The beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing so Christ can be all. And then number four, love so divine, love so sublime, love that is deeper than any sea, love for us all, oh, how can it be? Spirit-filled women today. What would Paul think about us having here? We have two women pastors. We have three women elders. We have women worship leaders. We have women leading our prophetic movement. What would Paul think? What would the man who wrote, let the women be silent in church, as it says in law, what would he say about this? Uh, He speaks to it. This is Romans We did Romans, uh, or 1 Corinthians 9, 20, which says, to those under the law, I will be like those under the law. Now let's look at verse 21. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. What would Paul do in 21st century American, where culturally women have been liberated, women are leading companies, women are, we've got one that might end up being president, we've got, we've got women at every level. How would he treat women in our culture for the sake of the gospel? Oh, I believe that he would not unnecessarily offend people by telling women they can't speak or they can't have positions. 
for the sake of the gospel, he'd say, in this culture, free release. And I even believe it was happening then. It says that Priscilla and Aquila were honored among all of the Gentile churches. Priscilla was already being used in the Gentile churches, not the Jewish churches, but the Gentile churches, because culture demanded it, allowed it. Okay, point three, last point, main point, spirit-filled mothers. Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house and the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Love builds, fear tears down. God has a promise and an assignment for every mom that is here today. I'm going to read to you Romans 16. Verse 20, one more time. May the God of peace, the God of peace, could we, could we get that up there again? It's 16, it's verse 20. It's the last verse, very last verse. There, nope, one more. Here it is. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So here is the promise, then I'll give you your assignment. The promise to every single mom that's in this place right now is that very soon darkness is going to be broken in your home. It's going to be broken over you. It's going to be broken over your children. It's going to be broken over your husband very soon. This is, this is the next thing that's happening with you. Darkness and its work is going to be crushed under your feet. And it says the God of peace is going to do this. Why, why the God of peace? Why not the God of war? Why not a picture of Jesus fighting for me instead of this peace? Why would peace, why would it be the God of peace that would be crushing darkness? This is absolutely critical for us to figure out how I can say so boldly that God is very soon going to crush darkness under your feet. In God's mind, the war is already done. Jesus has already disarmed darkness through the cross. Colossians 2.15, that Jesus has triumphed over darkness. He has already defeated them. He has already disarmed them through what he did on the cross. The disarming of Satan, the disarming of the principalities and rulers of darkness simply means this. They do not have the right to exercise power over you, over your children, or your family. 
They do not have the right to. They have been disarmed. They've lost their authority. Authority is the right to exercise power. Right now, the enemy, to gain power, to gain the, quote, right, it's something that has to be given to them by you. That you and I, when we give in to fear, when we give in to his plan, his stuff, we, we end up making a room for the enemy. And God wants you to know that there is a victory for you. That, that 1 John 5, 4 says, this, this is the victory, even our faith. Folks, we are fighting the spiritual battle from victory, not for victory. That might, that might seem like a subtle distinction, but it makes all of the difference in your mind. If you are fighting from victory, you already have victory. You're already the thermostat that has victory, and it is set on victory, and your peace starts transforming your home. It starts moving out. The victory that you are walking in acts like a thermostat and it starts affecting your whole home. If you are fighting for victory, first, you're doing an end run around the cross because God said it's already done on the cross. And you're saying it's not done until this person gets saved or that person gets healed or that, that thing. And, and so now you're trying to get something and you're right back to works. You're right back to you being good enough, you being praying enough, you doing whatever it is enough. You have got to set the thermostat at victory. The God of peace. And that, of course, this is the assignment. You didn't just get a promise, you got an assignment, and that is to walk in peace. I was so thrilled this week as I was meditating on 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. 1 Peter, it's 1 through 6 actually. 1 Peter 3 is, Paul is, he's, or Peter is writing to a number of people. He, he, he talks to slaves. He talks to people that aren't in power, that aren't in charge, and that could easily give in to being a victim. And he writes in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, to wives who are married to men that are not saved or they are not walking in the truth. And he says this, that you will win them without a word. That you are to clothe yourself with a gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious to the Lord. And that you are, with Sarah's example, not to give in to fear. What, uh, what is he saying here? A number of things. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, I like women that are introverts, that don't talk. That, this has nothing to do with your personality. God likes every personality. He likes you. He made you like you are. A gentle, quiet spirit 
The spirit is the hidden man of the heart. The, your heart has both spirit and soul in it. That's why you can have a divided heart. That's why we're encouraged to have a whole heart. The hidden man of the heart is your spirit. And a gentle, quiet spirit is a, is a spirit that's filled with the peace of God. That is trusting God for your home. A spirit that is not at peace, a spirit that is given to fear, that is motivated by fear, guilt, and shame, is going to nag the husband. It's going to try to control the kids. It's going to, and and women, without wanting to, can end up with their own hands tearing their home down. Last thing any mom wants is to tear their own home down. But when you give in to fear, when you give in to darkness, you can tear your own home down. But you can also win your home by walking in peace, by trusting God. You will win him without a word because that beautiful, gentle, quiet spirit that's trusting God, it's not only attractive to God, it's also attractive to your husband. But it's more than that. There is a power that is released from heaven that Jesus will win your home for you while you trust him. Pastor Tom, that seems really bold to say that. How do we know? Everybody's got a free will. Okay, I'll grant that. But have you ever thought of this? Because I've been thinking about it a lot this week. Salvation is a family plan. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Do you know the original promise to Abraham? Is that in your seed, speaking of Christ, every family on earth will be blessed. It is a family plan. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul says, if you've got an unsaved husband or an unsaved wife, and they agree to stay with you, then keep them with you because they are sanctified by your faith. Sanctified just means set apart. It doesn't mean they're holy in that they've been set apart. They're on God's list. God is going to work on them, and their children are set apart for the gospel. Did you know that before Jericho was destroyed, God said to Rahab, You and your household, you get as many of your family members as you want to, and everybody that you collect will be saved. Did you know that when God spoke to Cornelius, the word of the Lord was, go get your household, fill that house up with your family members. They got as many people in there as they could. Now all of them were saved. Folks, I believe the gospel is enough to save not just you, but everybody that's in your relation. If you'll believe it. If you'll believe it. I believe. I'm believing for my family. I'm believing for my extended family. I'm believing for my, my, my mom. I'm believing, I am believing for relatives. I'm believing that the gospel that has saved me is able to win 
them that God can so turn up the heat of his spirit if I will trust him if I will stop fearing and giving in to darkness and control and and I will trust him and I will come alongside him and believe God for my home I believe God is able to win my household do you believe he can win yours Okay. I told you I was going to be excited. So I, I've already forewarned you of this. All right. So here is uh, here's how to walk in peace. There's two steps. One is to get peace, which is actually fairly easy. And the second one, a little more difficult, is stay in peace. So let's talk about get peace first. Man, I'm bringing you in now. This is for women, but this is also for men. Peace begins not by you being positive. There's only one way peace begins, and that's through you and I being saved. The Bible says that through the blood of Jesus Christ and through faith in his blood, we now have Peace with God. Peace start, does not start horizontally. It starts vertically. Folks, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all broken the law. Whether we're Jewish or not Jewish, whatever law we're under, we have broken it. We are all sinners, and sin has created a burden. It has created a shame that causes us to hide which is oftentimes why we can't locate how sinful we are because we're so busy hiding through excuses and justifications and, well, I was tired or I was this or I, uh, God understands and people understand and, and this is just how I am. Uh, sorry, you're a sinner. You've sinned. There's actually quite a bit of freedom in just saying, I too am a sinner. I too am guilty. And it's actually when we stop blaming others, when we stop making excuses, and we own our sin, that we can gain cleansing. Jesus died so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be unburdened by the shame, guilt, and fear that sin creates. This is how you get real peace with God, not by justifying yourself. But by owning your sin, here the problem is is that God can't forgive excuses. He can only forgive sins. So we start by owning that we have been, that we're sinners. And we give our hearts to Christ and he applies his very blood to our spirits and peace comes with God. Okay, so... But many of the moms here are already Christians. How do you get to peace? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything make your requests known to God. And the peace which passes all understanding will guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In January, I had the privilege of speaking for our ladies' brunch, and we were up here, and at the end I encouraged the women to come up and that God wanted to touch them. 
And I had different pastors praying for me. And one mom, this is just a few months ago, told me what happened to her. This is months after the event. What had happened to her? She came in oppressed by fear, terrorized by fear. And she, she came up front, and the pastor that prayed for her was Pastor Joe Guglielmo, and he went to put a hand on her, and she was overcome by the Holy Spirit. She actually fell down to the ground. There was somebody, I made sure there was somebody behind people just in case God touched them in that way. And she said, Pastor Tom, the most amazing thing happened to me. She said, all of my fears were pushed away, and I had this peace rest on me. And she said, it was really funny because I couldn't be anxious. I couldn't make myself be afraid. All was well. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Women, moms, God wants a transfer of your anxiety today for his peace. And then finally, staying in the peace. And then we're going to have a prayer for moms. Look at this. This is, let me give you the Romans 1, or the Romans 16, verse 19 first. Here's what Paul says. I want you to be wise about what is good, and I want you to be naive or simple about what is evil. Now listen to Philippians 4, 8, which is right after 6 and 7. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the peace of God will be with you. To stay in peace. We do not deny darkness. We do not deny that darkness is aware. We're not in this, you know, don't, I don't want to live in the real world thing. But we don't focus on the devil. We don't focus on what darkness is doing. We are simple as to what is evil. If you go down, if you focus on what the devil's doing in your house, in the world, in the politics, and you focus and you spend your time becoming wise about what is evil, you are going to lose your peace. Jesus said, this is how I live. Whatever the Father is doing, I do. Whatever the Father is saying, I say. I focus on what God is doing. I focus on what's beautiful. I focus on what's good. I focus on those things that heaven is bringing to earth. When we focus on darkness, we empower darkness. How many know when you're worried, it's easy to focus on darkness? When you're afraid, it's easy to go where you, you actually empower the thing that you want to be free from. Cast your anxieties on him. Receive his peace. But to walk in it, you've got to empower peace by focusing on God. Focusing on what God's doing. Focusing on beauty. Focusing on anything that's praiseworthy. Anything that you can find. And sometimes you can't find much, can you? Isn't that right? Sometimes you're thinking of your body and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Lord, I thank you right now that my little toe doesn't hurt. <laughs> Rest of the body's in pain, but I'm going I'm to focus on that little toe. Thank you, Jesus, for that little toe. Amen. Do you see how it works? And you, you get on the right side of this thing. Okay, could we stand together?
Okay, I need, I need all the moms to come forward, even from the balcony. Wherever you are, moms, start coming forward. I've got a very brief time, but we're going to do something that I believe is going to be a gift from heaven to moms. Uh, we used to give a flower out at the door, chocolate out the door. I just figured moms would rather have something directly from God than what we could give them. So come on forward. Yeah, push in if you would, because moms are coming from all over the place. Okay. Moms, I need you to join me in the first prayer because this is for spirit-filled women. The first prayer, I'm going to ask all the moms here to agree with me. There are women here, some are moms, that are single, that the longing, the cry of their heart is for a godly husband, is is for God to bring a match for them. And we are going to pray for our women that want a husband, and not just any husband. They want God's match for them. The other group we're going to pray, and I'm asking the moms to help me pray for them. There are are women out here that want to be moms. They, They are married, but they have not been able to have children, and they need their wombs to be opened by God. And we're going to believe God. I believe God wants to multiply godly seed. I believe he wants to open wombs. I believe this is a very noble thing to be a mom. So we're going to start by praying for them. Can we do that, Lord, in Jesus' name? For every woman here that wants to be married, and not just to any, any male, but wants to be married to a male that will join them in their quest of seeking God and advancing the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that you would make these matches. Lord, we pray that you would raise up godly men. We pray that you would take men that maybe aren't even saved yet and convert them and grow them and grab them for the kingdom of God. Lord, we've got all these wonderful, beautiful young ladies. Where are the men? Lord, raise them up. Raise up men and speak to them and match them up, God. Lord, we believe you're better at this than Christian Mingle. Father, we are praying for every wife that wants to be a mother and hasn't been able to. Lord, you heard the cry of Hannah. You heard the cry of her heart. And the answer came around this. She said, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate that child to the Lord. I will see him as yours first. He or she will be separated unto God. And so, Father, I pray for every every wife that wants to have a child. Together we say, Lord, give us children. Open wombs, God. And we will give these children to you just like these moms and dads did this morning. In Jesus' name. Okay, moms, here we go. Here's your assignment. Come to peace. Here's God's promise. Very soon, darkness is going to be crushed. Very soon, darkness is going to be crushed in your husband, in your, first in your own life, your husband's life, your children's life, grandma, your grandchildren's lives. 
I want you to open your arms right now like this. Lord, you, you spoke to me this week that you wanted to release this gift today over moms. Lord, we want to trust you today. Every mom here wants to trust you. So we give you our anxieties. We give you the child we've been worried about. We give you the husband we've been worried about. We give you the grandchild we've been worried about. We give you everything the devil's been doing. All the things that we have been able to see darkness is doing this and this and this and this. Lord, we give you every anxiety we've had about darkness. And we give it to you with thanksgiving that you are the God of peace. That you have already won for us the battle. You have already won the war for us. You've already died for my sin, for my shame. And so, God, we say thank you. That I, thank you that I am your favored daughter. Thank you that I, we're not trying to wrestle something from you. You want me to have your peace today. And so right now, ladies, would you just receive right now the peace of God that passes all understanding? Right now, just receive the tangible peace of God. The tangible peace of God the past is all understanding. Spirit of fear, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have no place here. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I rebuke all fear. I rebuke all confusion. I rebuke all darkness that has tried to lodge itself. In Jesus' name, we break your power and we receive right now, right now, the anointing of peace. Please, God, please, God, and let it guard over, Lord, their hearts, but also, God, their minds. Peace of God, peace of God, run deeply in their hearts. But please, God, settle these busy minds. Speak to the raging storm. Peace be still. Peace be still. And now, Father, in Jesus' name, I claim victory over that home. I claim that this thermostat of peace, these moms are building their homes. They are wisely building their homes. They're taking peace for themselves. And we declare victory over every child, over every husband, over every grandchild. Lord, we refuse to entertain our mistakes or sins in the past or that we've done this wrong. We refuse that. That's the devil in Jesus' name. Jesus, you died for that. You have died for every mistake that I've made. You've died for every sin that I've made. You've died for every fear that I've walked in. And I refuse to empower it. Now, Father, little by little, show me what you're doing. Show me what heaven is doing. And Lord, I'm going to make it my discipline to focus on what's good, to focus on what's beautiful. I, I, I make it my purpose to become wise about what is good, to give myself to study what is good. And ladies, 
If you ever lose your peace, which you probably will, probably this afternoon, God wants you to know, just come on back. Bring your anxiety back. Bring your anxiety back, and I will restore that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give our moms a hand? Okay, I've gone over. Give four people a hug and go get your kids.